All Saints Parish in Alpena, Michigan is proud to present Let's Talk Catholic with Father Scott Lawler. Prayer for canonization and prayer to be a missionary disciple. O God, I adore you with all my heart. You sent your only Son to bring the joy of the gospel to a fallen world. Following in his footsteps, Venerable Frederick Barriger brought this same gospel to the people of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Due to his strong faith, unwavering service, and selfless sacrifice to you, please honour him with the title of saint, and grant the favours which I ask today. God our Father, I pray that through the Holy Spirit I might hear the call of the new evangelization to deepen my own faith and the faith of my family and my parish family. May we, as a community of missionary disciples, grow in confidence to proclaim the gospel and boldly witness to the saving grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, for ever and ever. Amen. We now um, have started a new liturgical year. Advent is um, a time of preparation and, and generally speaking the themes of Advent every year are the same. But we have a, a three-year cycle and um, we're about to enter into um, year B of the cycle and that is predominantly Mark's Gospel. Now, Mark's Gospel is the shortest Gospel and it's augmented with St John's Gospel. So year A is Matthew, year B is Mark and year C is Luke. John's Gospel is used um, a lot around uh, Holy Week every year. Um, but augments Mark's Gospel. And one of the great things about uh, Year B is that particularly in June we get the Chapter 6 of John's Gospel, which I have done whole sessions on the beauty of, of uh, Chapter 6, the Bread of Life Discourse. But today, in today's programme, I thought I would do a sort of um, overview of Mark's Gospel, uh, addressing some of the questions about authorship, when it was written, um, those kind of things, maybe some of the differences, um, which I hope is useful for us looking uh, forward. I'm using a variety of different sources. I may well mention them as I as I go through. Um, but generally, I, I, I was just thinking that it's a good thing for us to be able to get a a bird's eye view, or should I say nowadays, a drone's eye view of of Mark's Gospel, the shortest Gospel. Um, I would encourage everyone to sit down and just read it. Uh, read it before you listen to this, maybe, if you do it with, if it's a podcast that you use, or if it's the radio, then listen to it, uh, this podcast, and then read it. It doesn't take a whole lot length of reading. I won't give an estimate how long, because people read at different uh, speeds. Um, you find that uh, a lot when you're uh, studying, as many of you will know. But also, if someone is borrowing a book from you and it took you three days to read it and two weeks later they've still not finished. It's different people do different things. 
but Mark's Gospel, which is one that I I uh, read every every Lent, um, it doesn't take four weeks, five weeks to read. Uh, you could actually sit down, and um, if you didn't do anything else, I would, I would say you could sit down and and go over, get through it in, in not a very long time. I nearly did what I said I wasn't going to do. I nearly said, give a space of time, how long I think it should take, but I'm not. So I hope this is useful. Um, and as we look forward to the secular, secular new year, I hope that uh, the Lord smiles on you and our lady guides us in what has been very difficult and troubling times. And uh, I don't necessarily think that uh, 2021, as we move forward, um, will be particularly that much better only hopefully by the, the half the middle of the year we will be through what we have all been going through Do you know as I was talking about that sitting down and reading Mark's Gospel I remembered um, oh a long time ago now but maybe 25 years or so ago I went to a one-man show, um, it was two nights, and the first night was, uh, the, the actor did the St. Mark's uh, Gospel, uh, it was absolutely fantastic, it was just him in a chair, and I, I think he had a just a shawl or something like that. Um, he did all the the, the characters. It was really it was it was really wonderful. Um, and then, also, I um, the next night, <coughs> excuse me, he did the the journeys of Saint Paul. Um, which is very good as well. I don't know if that was ever recorded, and I don't know if more than one person ever did it. I can't even remember what nationality the man was. It was a, a university that I went to see him. Um, but it really was excellent. So I certainly would encourage you to read it or listen to it. You can actually probably find um, either the Dewey Rooms version or the King James version on audio on something like YouTube or perhaps even a, a podcast. I don't know. Okay, so what I'm going to um, read, I'm going to read a little thing out to you now. Um, it's from a book that's called The Little Pictorial Lives of the Saints. Uh, it's actually not very little, but um, and it says, with reflections, for every day in the year, compiled, compiled from Butler's Lives and approved sources, and Butler's Lives of the Saints is something that I, I might delve into later on. I have marked the places in that. Um, this one is uh, an American version, which um, I'm presuming was supposed to be given to to children, it shows how much we've moved on. This uh, copy I have, and I've mentioned this before in programmes, that um, I have a lot of older books. Uh, I'm a bit of a bibliophile. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but this book is copyrighted 1878. Um, so here's what it says about the feast day of St Mark, which is April 25th. St. Mark was converted to the faith by the Prince of the Apostles, well, it would be St. Peter, of course, whom he afterwards accompanied to Rome, acting there as his secretary or interpreter. When St. Peter was writing the first epistle to the churches of Asia, 
he affectionately joins with his own salutation, that of his faithful companion, whom he calls my son Mark. The Roman people entreated St Mark to put in writing for them the substance of St Peter's frequent discourses on our Lord's life. This the evangelist did under the eye and with the express sanction of the Apostle. In every page of his brief but graphic gospel so bore the impress of St Peter's character that the fathers of the church used to name it Peter's Gospel. St Mark was then sent to Egypt to found the church of Alexandria. Here his disciples became the wonder of the world for their piety and asceticism. So much so that St Jerome speaks of St Mark as the father of the Anchorites, who at a later time thronged the Egyptian deserts. So just a side here, Anchorites. Um, if you've ever come across the word before, it, it eventually became a way of describing people who for penitential reasons would live inside the walls of medieval cathedrals in particular, or large basilicas, or sometimes very large monasteries. Um, they, they went in there, um, they gave up their names, they just were called the Anchorite, and they were fed, and they, where they, they um, would be, they would, they, you know, they would have a bed and stuff like that, and they would be fed by the community, and they'd be able to see the altar and see the tabernacle, and they spent their whole time praying and making reparation for whatever um, sins they committed. They're not that far from where my parents live, um, down in the city of Chester, which is a very old city. It was, it was a, the Romans turned it into a city, but it was there before the Romans came. Um, there's an anchorite cell that still stands, but the church itself that was around it has fallen down, um, and it's been added to actually turned into quite an expensive house, I believe. But anyway, anchorites in this um, occasion are talking more about people who went to live in caves. You, you would tend to call, we would tend to call them more hermits and things like that, but um, this is what they mean here by, by anchorites. So back to the text. Here too, this would be Alexandria, he set up the first Christian school, the fruitful mother of many illustrious doctors and bishops, and that's very true. Many saints that um, and the other church fathers and also some theological dispute, disputations all came from the school at Alexandria. After governing his see for many years, St Mark was one day seized by the heathens, dragged by ropes over stones and thrown into prison. On the morrow the torture was repeated and having been consoled by a vision of angels and the voice of Jesus, St Mark went to his reward. It is to St Mark that we owe the many slight touches which often give such vivid colouring to the gospel scenes and help us to picture to ourselves the very gestures and looks of our blessed Lord. It is he alone who notes that in the tempting Jesus was with the beasts, that he slept in the boat on a pillow and that he embraced the little children. He alone preserves for us the commanding words, Peace, be still by which the storm was quelled, or even the very sound of his voice, the Ephata and the Talitha Kumai, by which the dumb were made to speak and the dead to rise. So too, the looking around about with anger and the sighing deeply, long treasured in the memory of the penitent apostle, who was himself converted by his Saviour's look, are here recorded by the faithful interpreter. 
that that last part is an allusion to St. Paul, and the reflection that this little book gives. Learn from St. Mark to keep the image of the Son of Man ever before your mind and to ponder every syllable which fell from his lips. I probably should have said this at the, the very start. <laughs> I thought I kind of had, but just to be clear. Um, so this is not a Bible study. I'm not starting a Bible study of um, St. Mark's Gospel. What I'm doing is in this program, and it's going to be a standalone program, is I'm telling you a bit about um, his Gospel. And um, I wasn't sure how much information I had about the man himself. But I think probably it's going to turn out that at least half of it is going to be um, about St. Mark, which is a wonderful thing because I'm hoping that you'll hear stuff here that you either haven't heard before or it puts it in contact, uh, context. It gives you an idea of uh, the man who, who wrote down this, uh, this gospel. Um, so, so carrying on, right, um, he was a disciple of uh, St. Peter, but what else do we know about him from uh, traditional sources? Uh, so a lot of this is popular piety, uh, but I would um, encourage you, as I always do when I tell popular uh, legends, that um, lean towards believing it, because, because why not? I, I think there's too much time spent by people trying to dissect um, so a bit about Mark's family so legend would tell us that Mark's father's name was Aristopolis and his mother was um, called Mary and his um, cousin or sometimes people say uncle was St Barnabas and that um, he was in some way shape or form um, related to St Peter so he might have been like St. Peter's second cousin or St. Peter's nephew or something like that. Um, Barnabas certainly seems to have been so, so Mark would have been. And he came from a, a, a Jewish family um, who had immigrated from Palestine to um, Cyrene, which is in modern-day Libya, as in Simon of Cyrene, who carried the, the, the cross, whether... They went there before Mark was born or not. It's not fully re recorded. But um, there was troubled times, of course. The, none of, you know, law and order. The Romans controlled a lot of things. And, and, you know, they used to call the Mediterranean the Romans' pond. In fact, up until medieval times, the French thought it was Outremer, our sea. Anyway, they moved back to uh, Palestine. And in some way, it seems that Mark's family had had money. Um, legend tells us that their house, their family house, was one of the first places that um, the Christians met. And Mark was received into the church before his family. Now, I have a, a, a statue um, of... I've got four statues of all four evangelists. It's funny that, four statues, four evangelists, anyway. And each one has got their own, their image with them, John with his eagle, etc. And Mark has a lion. And um, 
here's one of the stories as to why Mark has a, a line beside him. Of course, this has a lot more to do with <coughs> uh, things that are in the Book of Apocalypse and I think a reference somewhere to the the Old uh, Testament. I have it in my, my notes somewhere, so hopefully um, if I could track that down, um, I'll be able to, to fill that in as I'm going along. Okay, I found it, yeah. So it's in Revelation 4, um, chapter 4, verse 7. And some of you might well have been shouting, it's in Revelation, Father, Revelation. And uh, the passage reads, The first living creature resembled a lion, and the second living creature resembled a calf, and the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature resembled a flying eagle. So as I said, Mark's the lion, um, Matthew is the lamb, uh, St. Luke's the ox, and St. John is the eagle. So the lion, um, the lion's uh, symbolic of the resurrection of, of Christ as king, you know, the lion being the king of animals and uh, of beasts, and also being courageous. So as, as Christians, we're called to be courageous like a lion, uh, but also spread the news of the the king um, of of the of the universe, Christ, of course. And um, if you if you ever been to to Venice um, in the cathedral at St Mark's, which is often you often see it. In fact, and there's a John Wayne, uh, not John Wayne, James Bond movie, where uh, this whole scene takes place in the piazza outside of St Mark's. They have some of St Mark's relics, which were taken from Alexandria. As you mentioned, as I mentioned a minute ago, when I was reading that part out, uh, Saint Mark became the evangelist to Alexandria. More about that in, in a few minutes, I think. Um, but the Venetians they were very powerful. They 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 stole. I don't know, maybe they bought, but I'm, I've got a funny feeling in the back of my head that that they stole the relics. Anyway, the the Venetian um, principality, which was very powerful for a long time. Its symbol is, is the line. However, so, I digress there, of course, as most of you know who listen to me, I digress quite a lot. Um, so, but here is the the legendary story of why the line's important. So, Samar goes out for a walk with his father. And <coughs> the, um, out of the the trees or from over the hillside or around the mountain, whatever, um, appear two lines, a male line and a female line, a lioness. And um, his father, who was not yet a Christian, his father said, uh, you go, Mark, and we'll join. And I'll, I'll get to that. Um, he was, his his original name was John. Um John means uh, uh, by the grace of God, I think it is. But it, that, so anyway, he says to him, um, you go home, I will um, lie down before the lions and, uh, because you've got your life ahead of you. And John Mark says to him, no, I will pray to God, uh, the God that I believe in, that you doubt, and 
um, he will save us and both the lions drop dead so that's one of the reasons why he's seen with with the lion and that caused his father then to convert which is of course a wonderful thing his um, mother I think had already converted I can't find that that out but I think his mother might have already converted but then his his father did convert and as I said a few minutes ago they turned their house into one of the first um, churches and that's where people gathered and you can not their house but one of the oldest um, church houses that you can see the ruins of is called the the Dura I don't have this in my notes here but I have talked about it a couple of years ago it's in modern day Syria and it still exists the, the ruins of it and it's got some frescoes some of the walls are still there Dura Antopolis I think it's called and it dates from somewhere between uh, 60 and 100 AD, I believe. But also, in in um, Rome, one that I can particularly think of is Santa Saba, which is on the Aquiline Hill, I think, and Santa Sabina, which is the mother house now of the Dominicans. They both started as houses and were built onto and built onto or built on top of uh, because that's obviously where people people met. And and I know that in, in many parishes in the last few years, um, people have done that as well. They've gathered in their own homes. The domestic church is a, a very precious thing that which we uh, kind of lost for, for a while. Anyway, so his parents both convert. They have um, their house church, which is in Cana of Galilee. And Mark becomes under the influence of of Peter and begins to travel with him. Before I get to that, okay, so I said that um, his his given name, his original name, was John, which means um, graciousness of God or God is gracious. So legend tells us that when he when the Holy Spirit descended on him on Pentecost, he was one of those who are gathered there with the, the Twelve and the Blessed Mother, um, that he was then given the name uh, Mark. And the name Mark um, means hammer. And um, <laughs> so um, I have a brother called, called uh, Mark who... Um, I guess could consider be considered a bit of a hammer to to some people, but that's that change of name for mission, you know. And um, when we are confirmed, it, it was a very sad occasion once uh, a talk I was giving on something, and I asked um, there was about forty people present, and I asked people if they could name their confirmation saints, and there was about five or six people who couldn't, and that's very sad. Uh, because that should be important. Uh, our very choice of it should be important. Uh, relationship should be important. Anyway, so after that, Paul and Mark get together and they go to Cyprus and there's some kind of 
falling out that uh, nobody's quite sure what um, what caused the the falling out between Paul and um, and Mark. Um, a couple of theories, uh, most prevalent theories that you'll find from scholars, uh, I would say would be ones that Mark developed some kind of malaria or something like that, and and he uh, got weak, and Paul wasn't um, just wanted to soldier through, and we all know the hardships that Paul went up against, and um, that he, Mark just couldn't do it, and Paul got fed up with that, or that uh, Mark became homesick or felt there was work that could be done back with Jewish people and, and Paul was by that time using uh, all his time to work with the, the Gentiles. So, and then we have um, later on in the Acts we find out that Paul wanted Barnabas to go with him and they fell out over something to do with, with Mark and Paul said he wasn't taking him so Barnabas said I'm not going with you either and Paul ended up taking uh, Silas who was one of his his own disciples so Barnabas and uh, Mark ended up going to uh, Cyprus and then Mark went to Rome to be with St Peter for a while and then Mark ended up going to Egypt. We do know um, that Paul and Mark ended up uh, becoming friends again. And as you heard from that, um, what I read before, Mark uh, ended up founding a school of theology and it turned into a very famous school of theology in Egypt. There's a, there's a legend about... Um, one of the first people that he converted, uh, a Jewish um, cobbler called Anianos, who Mark went with a broken sandal, and Anianos stabbed himself when he was sewing it back together. And he picked up this expression um, that was, uh, oh, the one and only God, the one and only God, the one and only God. Uh, I guess it, you could think of your own equivalents there. And um, Mark said to him, legend tells us, um, in who, uh, who is the one and only God? And, and, and Enoius said, I, I guess I don't really, I've not really thought about it. And Mark used that as an in in order to convert the, the man. And he went on to be the first bishop um, after Mark and then became the patriarch of the... Coptic Church. So in, in Egypt you have um, Catholic Coptics, so the Coptic Rite, that um, are within the Catholic Church, and you have Orthodox uh, Coptics, those who are not in communion with the, the Holy Father. Um, the rite that the Coptics use is called uh, St. Cyril's, I think it is, St. Cyril of Alexandria. But its full name is the Cyril of Alexandria in honour to St Mark, I think is the proper way to translate that. I found that in one of my notes from when I was at school. Um, another legend that, that, that you find this in 
a few of the hagiographies, uh, hagiographies being lives of the saints, about different saints, is that when Mark walked about in Alexandria, any time, excuse me, any time he passed by any of the idols or Anubis or Ra or Seti or any of them, that the the statues would just explode into little bits, um, which caused, of course, as we heard, caused Mark to become a disturber of the peace and they decided that, the authorities decided that he would have to go. You can see why, because um, like in many of the uh, pagan cultures, there was money to be made by people giving offerings and things like that because the temples were under the control of the, the government. You can read actually some very interesting stories about that in regard to the Romans. Anyway, uh, what they did with St. Mark was they tied a rope round his neck and round his ankles and they dragged him through the streets, encouraging people to throw stones at him. Um, and mob rule, as uh, so many times we see, still is the case. And uh, St. Mark ended up dying a martyr's death. So, that's the um, the pious legends. Um, what can we see from uh, scripture and early church fathers? So as I said, um, Mark, St. Mark is considered to be the John Mark that's mentioned in the book of Acts. Um, he's considered to be the figure that's referred to in St. Paul's epistles, simply known as Mark. He's the figure in St. Peter's epistles, also referred to as just Mark, the author of the second gospel, and the first bishop of Alexandria. So what do we hear about him in um, Mark? Well, in chapter 12, after the martyrdom of uh, James, the, the first of the apostles to be martyred, at that time Peter is captured and he is due to be killed um, and he was miraculously freed from prison you know, his, his chains fell from him and things like that and this is what um, St Luke records about that and this is in Acts chapter 12 verse 12 when he realised this he went to the house of Mary the mother of John whose other name was Mark there were many gathered together and were praying and I, I mentioned a few minutes ago, that uh, Mary was Mark's mother and they turned their house into a church. So then it seems that Mark began to play a prominent role in the life of the church, becoming a travelling companion of Paul and then of of Barnabas. And um, in Acts 12.25, and Paul, uh, uh, sorry, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, bringing with them John whose other name was Mark. But then we find out, uh, again I mentioned that a few minutes ago, about some kind of disagreement that happened, and you find that in Acts 13, uh, verses 36 to 40. Um, After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the brethren in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them 
to the work. And there rose a sharp contention, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And we don't know, as I said before, we don't know what caused that that uh, friction, but it may have been disease or something else. Who who knows? Um, but did they ever get? Did Paul and um, Barnabas ever? Uh, Paul and Mark ever reconcile? Well, we know they did, because in Colossians, um, which is one of the the letters that um, Paul writes from prison, he he writes. Uh, to them Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions if he comes to you, receive him so that's from Colossians chapter 4 verse verse 10 and then Paul mentions them in other letters, in 2 Timothy which was written not long before Paul died in around about AD 67 in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11 um he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful in serving me. And he mentions in the letter to the Philem, uh, to Philemon as well. That's uh, verse 23 to 24. Uh, Ephaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you as so do Mark, Astricus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So he wouldn't be calling them fellow workers and saying, that um, he's useful in helping me if there hadn't been some kind of reconciliation. And how do we know about St. Peter and Mark? You know, I said earlier on that it's called, or used by the Church Fathers, it was often Mark's Gospel, it was often called Peter's Gospel. Um, so we actually have from uh, St. Peter's first letter, where he's writing from Rome, that's what the reference, you're about to hear the word Babylon, that's what he's talking about, um, Rome. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, that she is, he's talking about the, the church of Rome, sends you greetings, as so does my son Mark. And that's in First Peter chapter 5, verse 13. Now when I was reading out that um, pictorial uh, saint, a little section there which is almost identical to the section from Butler's Lives of the Saints uh, the, dating from 1878 talked about St. Jerome and um, so St. Jerome he did a, a collection of, in fact some people would say it was the first collection of the Lives of the Saints um, called De Viris Illustrutibus which means on illustrious men. And he talks about St. Mark in that, and that's where that allusion to St. Mark came from. So he says, Mark, the disciple and interpreter of Peter, wrote a short gospel at the request of the brethren at Rome, embodying what he had heard Peter tell. When Peter had heard this, he approved it and published it to the churches to be read by his authority as Clemens in the sixth book of his Hypotyposis, and Papias, Bishop of Heropolis, record. So that's two other church fathers, and Clemens being the third pope, I think he was, after Peter. Peter also mentions this mark in his final epistle, figuratively indicating Rome under the name of Babylon, 
she who is in Babylon, elect together what you salute through, and so does Mark, my son. And I just read that out to you. Carrying on with St. Jerome. So taking the gospel, which he himself composed, he went to Egypt and first preaching Christ in Alexandria, he formed a church so admirable in doctrine and continence of living that he constrained all followers of Christ to his example. Philo, most learned of the Jews, seeing the first church at Alexandria, still Jewish in a degree, wrote a book on their manner of life as something credible to his nation, telling how, as Luke says, the believers had all things in common at Jerusalem. So he recorded what he'd saw done at Jerusalem under the learned Mark. And, and Philo is, we have, I think, there's about five or six pieces of Philo who was a philosopher. And then at the end, um, St. Jerome records, he died in the eighth year of Nero and was buried at Alexandria. Uh, Ananias succeeded him, and that's the one I told you the story about, with uh, having been a cobbler. It's even um, recorded from, so St. Jerome's writing in the th uh, third, fourth century, but even earlier than that, in the first, second century, they're already calling this gospel, um, the second gospel, the gospel of, of uh, Mark. Interestingly, um, Dr. Scott Hahn comment, comments on this, as does Dr. Brant Petrie and different things that I've read or heard about them. St. Mark's Gospel is the one that we have the fewest commentaries written by church fathers. Um, it's difficult to know why, unless they think they felt it spoke for itself or because it was so short there wasn't much that needed to be said about it. Um, the interesting and one of the fascinating things about Mark's Gospel is that it really just gets to it. You know, it's um, there's no preamble, there's no infancy in narratives. It just gets right into the, the the story, as it were. There's a long, long-standing uh, story that um, in Mark's Gospel itself, the young man who ends up running out of the Garden of Gethsemane uh, naked is uh, St Mark, and that dates from early, early times. And it's in Mark chapter 14, verse 50 to 52. And they all forsook him and fled, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And, and in reading a commentary about that, I can't remember who by, but it was quite a long time ago, um, it was uh, suggested that this was, there were rumours going around the city that something big was going to happen that night. And this was a teenage boy who'd heard this and uh, snuck out. He was sent to bed by his parents and he snuck out the house with the equivalent of his pyjamas on, this cloth around him, uh, to go and see what was happening. And then he got caught up in the in the trouble. And I remember when I was reading that, I was thinking, that, that sounds very, very... Uh, Believable that that could be the case. And legend has, uh, as I say, has told us from a long time that uh, that would be St. Mark. Now, that's a whole lot of stuff about uh, biographical, about Mark, which um, I'm now going to just tell you um, about the what some uh, divisions within Mark's uh, gospel are, and just a, a very short, relatively short 
overview because I think I've uh, 40 odd minutes um, of giving you the the biographical and some of the background uh, although I always think that that, that brings to life a, a lot more a lot more of the colour of uh, of our faith personally I'm going to um, give what is generally accepted as the outline of Mark's gospel. Um, so I'm going to give the, I don't know how long this will take, but I'm just going to give the titles and the citations. So generally speaking, Mark's gospel is seen to be divided into two parts with a hinge, and I'll mention the hinge, of course, when I get there. So the prologue at the beginning of the good news, which is chapter 1, verse 1 to 13. Then begins part 1. Who is this man? That's chapter 1, verse 1 through to 8. Uh, sorry, is um, let me say that again. Who is this man? So that whole first part is chapter 1, verse 1 through to chapter 8, verse 26. And that's divided into two parts. So part A, proclamation of the kingdom with deeds of power. Under that comes the call of the disciples and Jesus' mighty deeds. Controversies from the religious authorities. A new Israel and a new family of God. Parables of the kingdom. Jesus' authority over all that threatens us. Unbelief at Nazareth. And the mission of the twelve. Then part B would be understanding the bread. So the bread miracle, the sea miracle, hardened hearts and healings, the new law of the gospel, an exorcism and a healing of Gentiles, the bread miracle, sea crossing, hardened hearts again, and gradual healing of a blind man. Then you come to the hinge, and the hinge is Peter's confession of faith when he says you are the Messiah, and that's uh, chapter 8 verse 27 to 30 and you have part 2 and part 2 is chapter 8 verse 31 through to the end which is 16 20 and part 2 is divided into traditionally into three sections one is on the way of discipleship so that's the first passion prediction the inept response and teaching on discipleship Transfiguration and an exorcism. Second passion prediction, the inept response, teaching on discipleship. Third passion prediction, another inept response and teaching on discipleship. Instantaneous healing of a blind man. Then part B, the Lord comes to his temple. Jesus, triumphal entry and cleansing of the temple. Controversies establishing the basis of Jesus' authority. End time discourse, then part C, which is passion, death and resurrection. A woman's anointing, Judas' betrayal. The Last Supper, agony, arrest and desertion in Gethsemane. Trials before Jewish and Gentile rulers. Crucifixion, death and burial. And truly this was the Son of, of God, the empty tomb and what's called the longer ending. So that must give you um, something to mull over. Um, here's what um, one of the Apostolic Fathers, St. Papias, um, said. So he, he lived from about 95 
to 130 AD. When Mark became the interpreter of Peter, he wrote down accurately whatever he remembered, though not in order, but the words and deeds of the Lord. He was neither a hearer or follower of the Lord, but such he was afterwards, as I say, of Peter, who had no intention of giving a connected account of the sayings of the Lord, but adapted his instructions as was necessary. Mark then made no mistake, but wrote things down as he remembered them, and he made it his concern to admit nothing that he heard, nor to falsify anything therein. And then a few years later, um, only a couple of decades later, St. Clement of Alexandria, of course Alexandria is where Mark eventually died, he wrote um, the, a letter uh, explaining the purpose of Mark's Gospel. So here's a quote from it. The circumstances which occasioned that of Mark were these. When Peter preached the word publicly at Rome and declared the Gospel by the Spirit, many who were present requested that Mark, who had been for a long time his follower and who remembered his sayings, could write down what had been proclaimed. Having composed the Gospel, he gave it to those who had requested it. When Peter learned of this, he did not positively forbid it, but neither did he encourage it. In dating Mark's uh, Gospel, um, in more recent times you hear some strange things, but generally speaking, the safest windows would be AD 55 to AD 67. Now, so why is this? Well, St. Peter died in 67, and um, it would seem that uh, Mark might well have mentioned that kind of thing since he was his disciple. But also, in Mark chapter 13, verse 2, which is when the Lord um, has the prophecy of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, well, the temple didn't get destroyed until AD 70 and you would think, and I think it's safe to say this, um, that if it had been written after AD 70, Mark would have had some kind of footnote or something where he says, would say, um, and is that and that has come to, to pass. Um, and anybody who would say that uh, the Gospels were written after AD 70 and they squeezed that in uh, the temple destruction in order to give some kind of credence well, why are they even bothering to study the Gospels and really? Because they're just denying the action of the Holy Spirit or that the Lord was the Lord and was able to prophesy these things so, writing AD 55 to 67 and who is his intended audience. Um, you know, all the Gospels had particular circumstances under which they were, they were written. The Matthews was written for Jewish audience. St. Um, Luke's, uh, well he was a missionary so he was writing for uh, Greek um, culture and St. John was writing for Greeks but for a higher level of um, theology. So Mark was really writing for the Romans um, and in particular the Roman uh, fledgling Christian community.
Mark's focus on Jesus is, is uh, Jesus as the authoritative, the authoritative Son of God and the Davidic King. In fact, um, some scholars would say that that's why he's got the the uh, the lion as part of his iconography. I think it was Saint Jerome who first did that because the lion of Judah, of course, is King David. So that reinforces that uh, Davidic aspect um, which also shows that this Davidic king came to suffer and die in order to claim victory over sin and, and death and one of the things it's really action packed um, Mark's gospel uh, you, you've got Jesus there who's he's healing, he's an exorcist um, there's not a whole lot of preaching. Um, you've got Mark, the parable discourse, which is Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 32, and then the Olivet, Mount Olivet discourse, which is Mark 13, 1 to 37. Otherwise, it's more, mostly miracles, and it all happens at quite a rapid pace. One of the terms that you hear a lot is, and immediately, the Greek word for that is atheist, and there's over 40 times, um, apparently in Mark's Gospel, where you hear this, or should hear it translated as, as uh, immediately. Um, you've also got the secret of um, Jesus' messianic and divine identity. There's the mystery of the kingdom. That's in Mark chapter one, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. The messianic secret, which appears time and again, for example... Chapter 1, 24 to 25, chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 7, verse 36, and the divine Son of God, that's how it actually starts, and then in chapter 14, verse uh, 61 to 62. That Greek word that I just mentioned, um, atheist, which for immediately, it's used more in Mark's Gospel, as short as Mark's Gospel is, it's used more in Mark's Gospel than the rest of the New Testament put together. Um, it shows that immediacy about how it's an important message. We need to go on with this, and it makes you think that Saint Paul, uh, Saint Peter, rather, might have been quite a fiery preacher. That he might have gone on and on and really said, "You change now. The message is for, for, for now." So there's a really that that rapid pace is there, which. It's another reason why I would encourage you to sit down and have a go at just reading it or listening to it all the way through. In that structure that I, that I read out, um, that second part of that structure, after the hinge, that's like 40% of Mark's Gospel, <coughs> excuse me, is a detailed account of the last eight days of Jesus' life. So it, it does have that very quick and um, moving in, um, let's get to the point here, kind of um, thing. And um, as we go through that, that gospel, there's, there's an unfolding of um, the mystery of, of Jesus, but also a focus on the power and authority of Jesus. So uh, you've got um, Jesus' authority as a teacher of the new covenantal order, his power over uh, Satan and other clean spirits, his power over sin and his authority to forgive sin, his power over the Sabbath 
and over nature, his power to heal, uh, power to raise the dead, and his authority over the temple and uh, to, divine, to define right, um, right worship. So there's a lot going on there, but also some commentators talk about the unfolding of the mystery in Mark's uh, gospel as the true identity of Jesus began to be revealed uh, bit by bit and uh, the kingdom of God, God incarnate and that he was truly God. So you've got that there, that the demons knew it and were silenced. That's chapter 1 verse 44, chapter 3 verse 11 and chapter 5 verse 5. The disciples came to understand it, uh, his, true, his true identity, but he warned them time and again not to reveal it. So again, that's chapter 144, chapter 3 verse 12, chapter 5 verse 43, chapter 7 verse 36, chapter 8 verse 26 and 30. And Jesus taught them in parables to conceal his true mission and, and identify those outside the kingdom did not ident understand and only those whom the mystery was granted to would be understood. So that's this revealing of mystery to those who accept the Lord. And that's um, chapter 4, verse 10 to, to 12. That unfolding mystery is, is often seen to be in four parts. The, the prologue part, which is number 1, which is chapter 1, verse 1 to 13. And then there's a mystery of Jesus, which is... 1, 14 to 8, 26. The mystery begins to be unveiled. That's chapter 8, 27 to 10, 52. And the full revelation of the mystery, which is 11, chapter 11 uh, through to chapter 16. But as well as, as, well as that, that, um, that mystery unfolding and the authority of God and the Son of God, you also in Mark's Gospel, you have many things that allude to the Lord's humanity. You have a talk of his pity, his anger and indignation, sympathy, surprise, admiration and love, sadness and grief, and his courage. And that all brings about um, us seeing that the God-man, God, his authority, his kingship, and then all these, that, that he was also fully human and Again, in Peter's preaching, that must have been the way he, he preached, that he was able to convey, this is God, but also a man. This is not a normal thing that we are, we are addressing or talking about here. And as most of you will know, there's a, a lot of overlap between the three synoptics, Matthew, Luke and, and Mark. But there are some things found in Mark that are not found elsewhere. So the healing of the hearing-impaired man, with the speech impediment in the Decapolis, the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida, and Jesus' feeling of love for the rich young ruler, um, that there were three temple cleansings instead of just two, and the announcement that Jesus was crucified at the third Jewish time, which is 9am our time, they're the things that are not in Matthew and Luke. So, hope that's not trying to um, pour a, a, what do you call it, Niagara Falls down a hosepipe there for everybody. But uh, so how will you see this unfold over the year? So the baptism of Jesus um, is the first Sunday of ordinary time. 
Jesus' ministry in Galilee is the second to the 16th Sunday, the feeding of the 5,000 and the Bread of Life discourses, which will be from John, will be the 17th to the 21st Sundays. Jesus' ministry in Galilee continued, will be the 22nd to the 26th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Jesus' ministry in Judea, which will be the 27th to the 33rd Sunday. And Christ the King, which is again from John, which will be the 34th Sunday of the year. So that's how it unfolds before you. Chapter um, 1 of Mark is the first Sunday. Chapter 2 to 6 are the second to 16th Sundays. Then, as I said before, the John's Spread of Life discourse is 17 through 21. That's chapter 6 in John, which I did, I think, three um, podcasts, programs on, which we maybe would replay at that time. Probably we will. It might have been more than three. Then the it's we go back to to Mark for chapter seven to chapter nine, which is the twenty second to the twenty sixth Sundays of ordinary time, and then uh, Mark ten to thirteen chapters is twenty seven to thirty third. But also on Palm Sunday you will have um, the the passion of of Mark for the the gospel passage. And Good Friday is always John's passion anyway. So I hope that has been helpful. Um, it's an exciting thing, um, Mark's Gospel. It's, it's got that pace to it. And I know I've said this a few times already in this um, programme, but I really would encourage you to either just go ahead and and um, read it yourself. Um, go to Adoration. Pardon me. Go to Adoration. Take your Bible and just sit and, and read that, um, or listen to it. There are probably, I would think, um, I know at least there's a couple of versions um, done, not so much the Dewey Reams, unfortunately, but the King James, but it is possible to get the Dewey Reams, uh, which is the Catholic translation. But when it comes to Marks, there won't be a whole lot of difference because there's no infant narratives or bits that would have been cut out. So... Once again, um, thank you for listening and I hope as New Year begins that you all have a blessed time and you and your families stay safe. And let's invoke the protection of the Mother of the Lord as we say together, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. You can listen again to this or any other episode of Let's Talk Catholic at our blog, letstalkcatholicpodcast.blogspot.com, or you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or almost any other podcast provider. Let's Talk Catholic is produced by Nick Medelsky and can be heard right here on Relevant Radio in Northern Michigan, Saturdays at noon.